thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I think that this passage of scripture is Paul's theological formula for missions. It's a theological uh, view of what mission looks like. And today I want to answer three questions from this, uh, from, uh, from this passage. And first of all, that is, what is the message that we preach? And second of all, how do we bring this message to the nations? And third of all, and third point, what motivates us? What motivates us to continue on in this mission? I don't think that we need to establish that missions is a very high priority with God. But just for a second, turn, turn back a page to 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 2, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Those of us, those of us who are Christians, we have been captured. We were in Satan's kingdom. And Jesus has come and he has taken off those chains and he has captured us and he has made us his slaves. And now as his slaves, he commissions us, go into all the world and tell everybody how great I am. Tell everybody how great I am. And so we are tasked with going to every single dark corner of the earth um, to bring this message to the nations. And As I see it, the church is the great sending agency, the great mission sending agency. Every single person in the church plays a role in this mission. And at this time in history, there is not peace. Spiritually speaking, there is not peace, which means that there is an all-out battle going on. There's an all-out battle going on for the souls of men. And it will mean that every single person has to pitch in. It has to be all hands on deck. And I, the way I see it is that the church is supposed to be the training ground and the base of operations for this incredible mission of declaring the glory of God among the nations. And as I said before, I want to give you from Paul's... Paul's theological explanation of what this looks like, practically. One of the greatest missionaries ever lived. And so the first message, uh, the first point, what is the message that we proclaim? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think we could talk all day about what the message is, of course. But I think we kind of have an idea of what the message is. And the message is that man and God are separated. Man and God are separated because of sin. And it is only through the grace and mercy of God that he has sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to God. One of my favorite verses, even when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's the message. 
And Paul has experienced this mercy. He was an enemy. Literally, he was an enemy of the church. And boom, one day God changed him. And because of the mercy of God, he was he was reconciled to God. And because of the mercy that was shown to them, they are bold in proclaiming this message. And even in opposition, they will not cowardly change the message just because some don't like it. If you look at verses 2 and 4, and I'm back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you look at it, it says, um, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but by commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight, by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the believers, unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What we need to understand today is that there are many people out there preaching the gospel or so-called gospel. There's many people preaching out there, a lot of people preaching. But today, many people are compromising the message of the gospel to gain more of a following or, in our case, the temptation to get people to believe the gospel. Because we, we see, we labor and labor, and we see, oh, nobody's coming to Christ. Maybe maybe it's too harsh, right? Like, maybe we need to change it. But no, um, even back there, and those, those people that preach to gain more of a following and change the message, they are in opposition to those who are trying to preach the truth of the Bible. And today, it is happening all over the place. But Paul is saying that they will not stoop to underhanded methods of getting people to believe in Jesus. They don't try to distort the word of God to get results, but they boldly proclaim Jesus as the one only mediator between God and man. And the gospel of Jesus, you know, when Moses went up to the mountain, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about this one chapter before. When Paul went up the mount, I mean, when Moses went up the mountain and met with God, he came down and his face was just shining. And the people couldn't bear it. They couldn't bear to see that light. And so they put a veil over Moses' face. And, and so today, the light of Jesus shines brightly and unveiled. There is no more veil. But the only veil that remains is the veil that lies over people's hearts. That's what Paul is saying. And Satan is on a mission to block out this light, to block that light out. And, you know, we need to be sensitive with how people understand and view the world, especially when we, when we preach the gospel cross-culturally, but we never change it. We never change the message. And we don't water it down just because people don't like it. Because he says, in verses 5 and 6, he says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as slaves because of Jesus, as your slaves because of Jesus. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Trust me, I've tried this. There is no method or argument you can come up with to get people to believe in Jesus. You can't, it's not possible. It has, 
nothing to, it has far less to do with us, far more to do with Jesus living through us. Because Paul compares salvation here to God in the beginning creating light. And nobody was there to assist God in making light. And he created the light through Jesus. He said, let there be light. Even so, the salvation of other people relies on Jesus' light taking that veil off. But I do believe that having said that, even though that is true, I still think that there is a way that God has ordained in which we bring this message to the nations. There is a way. And so how do we bring this question? How do we bring this message to the nations? I think that this is by far the greatest challenge for us. Um, we, we sometimes are so clear on what the message is, but how to bring it to the nations and look on, look on, uh, look at verse, what is it, five? I think it's verse five, where Paul says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And then notice he says, Ourselves as your servants. Ourselves as your servants, meaning Paul and his associates. They are, they have become the Corinthian servants because of Jesus. And honestly, this is so backwards to the way that we want to do things. We want to come in domineering, domineering. We are better. We know what, what we need to, what you need to believe. You need to believe this. Paul's saying we have become your servants. And <laughs> I saw this picture the other day. Can you see that? <laughs> Barely. Anyways, it's, <laughs> I don't know what exactly it is, but I'm just going to say it's, it's uh somebody who it's a lady who's uh who's um got some morning sickness. She's got a bottle of Beptobismol in one hand, and the husband is sitting there with a broom brushing her back, saying, "There, there." <laughs> and uh, you know that's it's kind of funny, but when I thought about it, this is this is sometimes how we tend to want to do missions. We want to kind of want to help. But we kind of want to do it on a standoffish kind of way. We don't want to get our hands dirty. And, and Paul's saying that he doesn't just preach Christ to them, but he displays Christ to them. He displays Jesus to them. And if you, uh, you don't have to turn there because you can see it here, but, uh, Mark 10.45, which I believe is the mission statement of Jesus. And it says, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And this came at a great sacrifice to Jesus. And no doubt, if we are Jesus' followers, as we go out, it will come to a, it will be a sacrifice for us as well. Because a servant is not greater than his master. And Jesus tells us plainly in another place, he says, if anyone wants to come at me, come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever shall try to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What benefit is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory, and he and then he will reward each according to what he has done. And I think that if Jesus is truly reigning in somebody's life, then obviously he will be displayed. And if Jesus is displayed, how is he, how is he going to be displayed? Well, right here, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul gives us some insight into the life, in, into how this looks like for him as he's living out this, as he's living out the will of God for his life. He says, we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Physically, mentally, they are in turmoil. They're embarrassed, humbled. But they're not totally destroyed because of the power of God that lives within them. On the outside, it looks weak and powerless. But trust me, that message is having an insane amount of power. You know what the proof of that was? The fact that there was a church in Corinth. That's the proof. Because Corinth was a very, very sinful city. It was a place, if if somebody... Um, if you were very an immoral person, it was like you were a Corinthian. That was the place where a lot of immorality happened. And the, for there to be a church there was a miracle all on its own. And, and Paul, and that is because of Paul's servanthood in going to them. Even though on the outside it looked weak, but it was having an insane effect. And I think in verse 10 and 11, Paul reveals this formula for mission work. He says, they were always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Let me ask you a question. How... Is it possible for you to be saved? How is it possible for you to be saved? Somebody had to die. Somebody had to die. And Jesus died. And it's only because of his death and his resurrection that it is possible for me to be alive when I was dead. And now he calls us to the same formula. He calls us to the same formula as we bring the message to the nations. He, bringing this message to the nations will come at a cost. It will. There's no doubt about it. Almost all of Jesus' disciples died as they were doing that initial wave of evangelism away from Jerusalem. Almost all of them died. I think basically all or were martyred except for maybe uh, John or something. And over the past 200 years, many, many, many people have died sacrificially, uh, physically, the fact that you are a Christian, somebody died to bring the message to you. Somebody. There's no person that is a Christian who has, where somebody has not died in bringing the message to them or through who they heard it through or something. And I, and I want to share a few stories. How many of you have heard of John and Betty Stamm? 
there's John and Betty Stamm. So John and Betty Stamm were both born in the U.S. Betty was uh, um, a missionary child, and her parents were missionaries in China, I believe. But she had gone back to the U.S. to uh, um, get training, and then she wanted to follow in the footsteps of her parents and become a missionary in China. Now, when they were in school, John and Betty met each other, and they fell in love. And they weren't married, but they they loved each other. But at the time, Betty wanted to go with China Inland Mission, and uh, they only were taking in singles. So as they were praying about this, they decided, we will follow God. And they decided that they would put their hopes and dreams for, for getting married, they would put that off to the side. And, and Betty went to China. John also wanted to go to China, but he finished his school, and he went to China, but to a different part. But the way that God ordered the circumstances was that they ended up meeting in the same town in China where they were able to serve together. And they, to them, this was like, oh, okay, so it is God's will that we would be married. So they, so it didn't take very long and they got married. And they, and, uh, they, uh, ministered in China in a, in a village in there. One year later, in 1934, their daughter Helen was born. And as they were ministering one day, the communist came into the community. And they were paraded into the streets. And I'm just going to tell a story fast because guaranteed I'm going to cry. But they were paraded into the streets and where um, John and Betty were both martyred. And their little daughter was uh, still at home. They had to leave her. And Betty, somehow she had known that maybe something would happen because she had like stuffed money and diapers in with her baby. And this pastor came and he, uh, he took this girl and he took care of her and he brought her to safety. Pastor Lowe was his name. And he came and he buried John and Betty Stamp. And as he was, as he was looking out into the crowd that was watching, he said, these people came here to tell you about Jesus. Now, on the outside, this looks like weakness. Like, what have they even accomplished? They were, they were not even two years into their ministry. And John and Betty, when they died, they were 25 years old. And, you know, someday we will find out what powerful effect that had on the crowd that was watching. Somebody will find out. And actually, I just read a guy who wrote a biography about these people, and he said that when news trickled back to the U.S. about uh, from uh, John and Betty Stam, actually many young people dedicated their lives to serving Christ because of because of them. They inspired people. And or uh, how many of you have heard of uh, Robert Germain Thomas? He's a different guy. You've heard of him? And so he was a missionary. He was a Welsh missionary. And he, and he had a burden for Korea. 
And at the time, Korea was less than 2% Christian. And uh, Robert, he was determined that he would bring the gospel to Korea. And so he worked things out. I, I don't know if I'm going to get this story totally right. There's a little bit, some variations to the story. But as he comes into the beach with his backpack of Bibles, he comes onto the beach and the, and the Koreans thought that the ship that he was on was a warship. So they burnt the ship. And he got to shore. And as he's sitting on the shore, he was, he's trying to hand out this Bible. He's saying, Jesus, Jesus. And the guy disregards him and executes him. And as he fell, some Bibles fell out of his uh, backpack. This had a huge effect on the man who killed Robert Germain Thomas. And he, and convinced by Robert's beaming face that he had killed a good man, he, um, um, he, he kept those Bibles. And you know what he did with those Bibles? He wallpapered his house with them. And people from near and far would come and read the words of the Bible on this guy's house. <laughs> and a church grew. People got saved. Actually, the nephew of Robert's killer became the pastor of a church. Through Robert's willingness, I mean, this is just one guy. There was many other guys who, who also brought the gospel to Korea. But um, in 19, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but that was in 1866 that he was killed. And in 1884 was the first resident pro- Protestant missionary in, in Korea. But anyways, uh, listen to this. In 1907, there was a huge revival in Pyongyang. So huge that people on that side of the world actually said that Pyongyang was like the Jerusalem of the East. There was such huge revival going on there. People getting saved all over the place. And this is the most amazing part. In 20, fast forward, 1866, 2019, South Korea sends out more missionaries into the world than any other country in the world apart from the U.S. The over 30,000 missionaries that South Korea has sent out. Isn't that crazy? This little country sends out more missionaries. This little country with a population of Florida and California combined. They send out more missionaries into the world than any other country except the U.S. That's amazing. And it started with a man who was willing to die to bring the gospel to that place. And as a, as a side note, I was thinking about this. And I was wondering, I wonder what kind of effect Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen, had on Paul. As he was standing there watching this guy being killed for Jesus. And I wonder what was going through his mind. And I wonder if that's, I wonder how God used that in Paul's life. I think he did. And when you really start to think about it, Christianity started with a martyr, which was Jesus. It started with the death of Jesus. And in this kind of sacrificial life, Jesus is well displayed. And I think this is very important. I've, I've given stories of people physically dying. You know, and that's why I think that this next quote is so important. And this is from Richard Wormbrandt, who spent years in, in a prison in Romania. He started Voice of the Martyrs. But he said, 
not all of us are called to die a martyr's death, but all of us are called to have the same spirit of self-sacrifice and love to the very end as these martyrs did. <laughs> I wonder if I have time. Yeah, I think I do. Richard Warmbath, he must have a, just a sense of humor, this guy. He listened to, in his book, listen to what he says. He says, uh, in prison, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached, and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us, so everybody was happy. <laughs> this guy, you should read his uh, story. It's in this book called uh, Tortured for Christ. Amazing story of Richard Warmbrand. But um, Paul sums it up like this in verse 12. So then death works in us, but life in you. The mission that we have, we have been called to will only be accomplished if the people of God will deny themselves and take up the cross and follow him. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that f- when it concerns missions, most of you will probably stay. But that does not mean that it will come, that it will not come at a cost to you. The one who goes often makes the most obvious sacrifice. But think about the grandparents who have to give up seeing their grandkids for who knows how long. For some of you, it might be that. You might be a grandparent and you have to, and you see your kids going off and you have to, you won't be able to see your grandkids. For you businessmen, it might mean that your best employee comes to you and says, I think God's calling me to Kazakhstan <laughs> or something like that. For, for most of you, it will cost you time and prayer as you pray for this mission, as you pray for people to come to know Jesus. And for most of you, it will um, mean um, giving money, helping other people go financially. And that's why some people say mission and not missions. And I think they're right. I think I, I agree with them that because when we say that, it makes it sound like a subsection of the church. When really, um, in the church, there we're all in this together. There's no one that is greater than the other. Everybody just has different roles. And we all work together. So the final question, what motivates us? What motivates us? First of all, many have not heard. And if Jesus is in us, he's, his heart is so that more and more people will hear. And today, apparently, there's still like 1.8 billion people who have never even heard the gospel of Jesus before. No one has told them. And I wonder sometimes, even when I ask myself, do, do I care? Do I really care? And Paul says here in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4, and he says that in, indeed it is all, meaning all the things that they have gone through, is for your benefit, so that grace extending through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase of God's glory. So as we love others and serve others and work on bringing this message to the nations, people will be saved. People will be saved. 
We can trust in that. And then they will tell other people. And often, if one person in a family will get saved, more and more people of the family will get saved. Often that happens. And when we sacrifice our, ourselves to God, he promises that he will reward us very richly. He will reward us. I read a quote that went like this. When we consecrate ourselves to God, we think we are making a great sacrifice and doing lots for him. When really, we are only letting go of some little bitsy trinkets we have been grabbing. And when our hands are empty, he fills them full of his treasure. You know who said that? Betty Stan. And she lived it. That's what she said. And that leads me into the final point. Verse 17 and 18 of Second Corinthians chapter 4. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is just another huge example of the grace of God in our lives. If, if we, a lifetime of service to Jesus would not make up for what he's done for us. A lifetime of service. Yet, he gives us the salvation for free, and then he does all the work through us. He calls us to rest in him and allow him to work. And then, in the end, he rewards us richly for that. (laughs) That it doesn't make sense. That's just grace. And Paul says that all the affliction that he suffers for Jesus' sake are producing for him an eternal weight of glory. What he means is that it will pay to sacrifice yourself to Christ. It will pay to suffer afflictions for Christ. He doesn't say that, like these afflictions, um, I just want to say that the afflictions don't merit the reward. So we don't go out there trying to be afflicted so that we'll get this big reward. No, the key is that we are consecrated to Christ, even if that means we will face afflictions. And I, I've wondered what, like, what does this look like? This eternal weight of glory. What does it look like? I just don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that in the Greek or whatever, um, Paul uses, like, it says eternal and exceeding weight of glory. And what Paul uses, what they call a uh, hyperbole. Does anybody know what a hyperbole is? All you homeschool teachers. Do you know what a hyperbole is? It's a, it's like an exaggeration. It's like, if, it's like you say, like, it cost me an arm and a leg. It didn't literally mean that, but you're just trying to say, like, that it cost a lot of money. But Paul doesn't use just one hyperbole here. He uses two stacked on top of each other. And the way that the Greek, I don't understand it, but this is what they say, is that it's like, Basically, he's just saying, like, I can't, there's no words that I can express the weight of this glory. There's no words that I can express it. It'll be that awesome. And it'll be so huge that the, what we suffer will seem like nothing. That's what he's saying. That, that, he's saying light afflictions. And, um, you know, the reward is eternal. The reward is going to be enjoyed forever and ever. And how short is 70 years compared to an eternity? 
right? I mean, people are willing to sacrifice all kinds of things for money, for fame, for power, for um, whether it's sports, whether it's pleasure, whether whatever it is, but how short-lived it is, how short-lived it is. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You know, I'm sure most of you would confess, just as I would, that how often we look at temporal, physical things. And it takes faith to put ourselves out there. It'll take faith that it'll be worth it. If you look in Hebrews, it talks about Moses. And it says that he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because his attention was on the reward. Same as Jesus. The only way that Jesus endured the cross was because of the joy that was set before him. That's how he endured it. The joy that was set before him. That's what it says in Hebrews Hebrews 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Affliction for the sake of Christ will only be endured by looking to reward and keeping a proper perspective on time. That's a big key. Imagine you sacrificed everything on this earth to build yourself an empire on this earth. And then you die and boom, it's gone. Nothing. You don't have, you don't take, you don't take any of that with you. Would you say it was worth it? Now imagine you sacrifice your life for the sake of the gospel. You didn't make it as high up the social economic ladders you would have liked to maybe. You maybe didn't get that. Maybe you didn't get the totally everything that you dreamed of on this earth. But you have an incorruptible, incorruptible heavenly reward that you will enjoy for an eternity. The first one, when he gets there, will say, man, that was not worth it. That was not worth it. The second one, we'll look back after a million years of enjoying his reward. We'll look back and be like, man, I can't believe I thought that was such a big deal back there. Imagine, <laughs> think about it. If you had, if you were in heaven for a million years, how, how would you think of this little tiny time span? It would feel weird, right? I've been trying to think about this. A million years into heaven, man, it, it'll... It'll seem so weird. Char, Char, Char said it was like labor. <laughs> She's like, when it's all done, then you're just, you, you kind of, for, for, you kind of forget about the pain because of joy that the little baby's been born into the world. And, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if that's true. I haven't, ex- I haven't experienced that, but, <laughs> but anyways, if you are giving yourself to Christ already, if you are doing this, I hope you're encouraged because it will be worth it. And if you're not, but you would like to, but you're just not sure where to start, the first thing I would say is pray for a willingness. Pray for a willingness to be used for Christ. And second of all, I think the best thing you can do is start by serving in your church. Start by serving in your local church. That's the easiest place to start, um, serving. And then maybe see if you can find some volunteer work. Ask Go tell a missionary, like, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. You know, that's actually how we, basically why we got to Eagle's Nest, because I saw Peter Fair, who was the director at Eagle's Nest at the time, at Pizza Place, and I just said to him, like, hey, if you ever need anything, like, just let me know. I'd be willing to help. Boom. 
three years later, we're the directors. <laughs> like, you know, that's where it starts, right? And maybe start supporting a missionary, but don't just support the missionary financially. Invest in them. Keep them accountable. See, like, text them, hey, what's up? Like, how's th- what are you up to? And and keep in touch. And how can I pray for you? And And things like that. One of the best things you can do also, one of the things that's awesome, is read missionary stories. I hadn't heard of a missionary until I was like 21 or 22. And um, I, I love them. They're just amazing stories. And I, I just want to encourage you to give yourself to Jesus. And I can give you the guarantee from God's worth, word that it will be worth it. Oh, oops, I, I missed some slides. C.T. Studd, another famous missionary, he said, I'll close with this quote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's the only thing that will last. So I hope that you guys are challenged, but also encouraged in that challenge. And uh, I just want to, I forgot to pray before, but I'll just pray now. Please pray with me. Father, we um, just want to say that we love you. And we thank you for the fact that you were willing to suffer and die for us, Jesus that you were willing to be displayed to in front of the whole world as if you had done all those evil things that I had done. And you didn't say a word that you hadn't, even though you were a per- lived a perfect, sinful, sinless life. And you were willing to do that so that I would be able to reign with you, be a co-heir with you, so that as you say in your word, as you were praying, Jesus, that where they are where where I am, they also may be. How precious that is, Father, that Jesus, that you want us to be there with you. And so I want to pray this morning that you would help us to understand the riches of your mercy and grace. Help us to understand what you did for us so that we will just willingly, out of the outflowing of thankfulness and praise, that we would be willing to give ourselves up to you knowing that you have our good in mind, knowing that you want what is best for us and that you want to use us. Father, I want to pray for more um, laborers in the fields of harvest. I pray that you would help each one of us to remember that your primary goal is displaying your glory to all the nations so that more and more people will come to know you and will bring you thanksgiving to the praise of your glory. And I just want to pray for this congregation that you would strengthen them, empower them, and um, and be with them. Father, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.